Welcome back to Grease Chats. In today's episode, I'm sitting down with Panayotis Katsarakis. Panayotis is a former semi-pro track athlete that ran in Greece. He currently runs the Super Greek on Twitter and Instagram. In this episode, we're going to sit down and talk Greek sports, Greek fan culture, and about the time Pano ran in the 2016 Greek Olympic trials. So if you love sports as much as I do, buckle up. This is going to be a fun episode. Let's jump right into it. Panayoti, what's up, man? How we doing, my guy? I'm doing all right. Doing all right. Super excited to get you on this podcast finally. Oh, I mean, it's been a long time coming. We've been shopping up in the DMs for a while. Happy to connect and finally, you know, put pen to paper and voice to microphone and get this thing rolling. So here for we go. Sure. For sure. For uh, sure. For those that don't know, Panayoti here is the founder of Super Greek, uh, known best on Twitter. I know you... Uh, you're a big advocate for Twitter. Uh, I, I'm more on the Instagram side. I try to tweet here and there, but uh, you, you seem to have the Twitter game down, man. Why don't you talk to us about what inspired you to start Super Greek and just kind of just talk what Super Greek is real quick for everybody. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, not only is it a great uh, mechanism to meet other Greek Americans and Greeks from around the world, like kind of what we're doing right now, but Super Greek is really a platform where um, I had a lot of experience in media in college. I was a communications major and, uh, you know, I'm a goofy guy. I like to have fun. I like to make people laugh and like to, you know, share about my culture like a lot of Greek people do. Uh, and for me, my world is a lot of a lot of times sports and politics. So um, politics can be a little bit choppy on Twitter. And I think there was just a huge hole in the marketplace for content creation with, um, you know, sports and telling Greece's story through like a very um, digestible and cool way where Greek people would want to share it and non-Greeks would still be interested in kind of, you know, take a look at this, like, oh, what, what's this all about? Um, I think the realm where I was able to really thrive is in the, the for lack of a better description, the barstool type of realm. I, I interned there in school for two years. And um, despite the, the spotty pass and some of the, the questionable content creation type of strategies that they have, they really, really do a good job of telling stories and engaging. And I picked up a lot of skills there and was able to transfer that into the Twitter space in, in, in a Greek context with Greek sports, Greek issues, Greek humor and all that. And it's really taken off and people seem to really appreciate it, which is from a content creator's perspective, as you know, Tony, it's, uh, it's all you could ask for. For sure. For sure. Are you yourself, you got a, a background in sports? I do. I do. So um, I ran in school. I was a high school um, athlete as well, but I ran in college. Uh, I was a, a 400 meter hurdler at BU, uh, Boston University. And uh, I was actually lucky enough to, you know, do some stuff in Greece as well. I ran at a couple events in Greece in my time. And uh, I'm retired now, but I did have a nice career. I had my fun in the sun uh, and I used to actually be able to transfer into my, my first job out of school as well. So it was definitely a, a tool that propelled me forward that I otherwise would have probably had to work 10 times as hard to get to. So it was definitely a, a, a gift for me. So Sure. So I, I, real quick before we continue, I just want to, before I forget, is tell everybody about how we've gotten to meet each other. Um, we've through social media on Twitter. I obviously I got to know you from following the super Greek. Um, but I, we're both from Boston uh, and um, I've been a big, I've been tied into like the Greek community in Boston my whole life. And I, I personally, like we've never met in person prior to last month, but Going back, I'm 99.9% .9 sure we've crossed paths at Hellenic College with all the Goya hoops <laughs> and the basketball stuff. I know whether you've been there or not, I feel like you have. Um, but you were part of the the 
Arlington community, correct? I was, I was. I balled with Arlington for a little bit. Uh, All right, then, then, I know, it, then I know we've crossed paths. <laughs> we, we were talking about it on Clubhouse and into the DMs a little bit. But uh, it's funny, I because I was in the recruiting process in my later high school career, I never played past, like, you know, sophomore or freshman year. Because you always hear about stories about, like, young wannabe jocks blowing out their knees in Greek tournaments. So I was yeah, like, you yeah, know, yeah, I, yeah. I'm going yeah. to dodge that bullet. I'm going to get my bread and uh, get to college and get that golly. So you know, scholarship for those at home. Um, <laughs> sometimes I, I just use my slang and people don't know what the hell I'm talking no, about. No, it's all so good. I, I think. That in. So, uh, yeah, I was like, let me get this bread. Uh, I'm not going to do that. But, uh, yeah, many, many ankles were snatched in Joy Ball uh, at, from Arlington. Uh, we had I a bunch of it. killers on our team, some ankle collectors. So uh, we I had a fun it. time. But uh, that's probably where we crossed pads. Um, I, uh, I didn't do Teddy K. I never did. But uh, once the world opens back up and I get, you know, my lagging track injuries under control, I'll definitely be over there, you know, hitting J's. Love it. Um, talk a little bit more in depth about your you and track and running. Yeah, man. Um, it was uh, in, in my young life. It was the number one thing that I would like put in my obituary, I would say. That's kind of the way I describe it. it, it um, so the last meet of my sophomore year in college at the New England Championships, I hit a time at where I was able to qualify last minute for the Greek Olympic trials. In 2016, it was an Olympic year, obviously. So the Greek national championships also double as the Olympic trials. And um, so by sheer um, luck earlier on in that year, I, uh, so I transferred actually to BU from Northeastern. I, I literally transferred from one rival school to the other, pulled like a she's the man basically. And when I went, the first person I met at BU was actually a Greek kid from Greece who was pole vaulting on the track team. And he was like looking at my times. He's like, you know what, bro? Like go out and try and get your citizenship. And this was like in September, the trials were like June. He's like, it's a longer process, but your mom is from Greece, like try it out. Cause like you have good enough times where like if you have a good season, you could definitely qualify for this race. And I was like, you know what? Like that's a decent point. It's what I always wanted to do. That's why I dedicated a lot of my college to track. And um, so we got that paperwork rolling. Uh, I had a Thea who was the real MVP back in Greece that was pushing it through the, the municipal like red tape and all the government like hurdles you have to jump through. So she went like every step of the way, like nagging these like, you know, stereotypical like Greek, like government employees to get them moving. And uh, so uh, it's funny because it's serendipitously kind of all unraveled in such a really cool way where um, I qualified for the race and I had seven weeks from that qualification period to the date of the trials. And in that time, I had no idea if my citizenship was gonna clear in time for me to run at this thing. And to the point where like, I'm training, I'm booking flights, I'm like booking hotels through like the team that I was gonna be running with, my, my pole vaulting teammates back in Greece's team. I was gonna represent Philothé, uh, which is a more of like a, a they called it the Blusi suburb over there. It's more of like a wealthier kind of bougier area, but really beautiful area as well. It gets like a bad rap. It's a really nice area. Um, so I was running for a team out of that section of Athens. And uh, so we're getting all this paperwork ready. No idea if it's going to happen and whatnot. I fly to Greece. When I land, I get a call from my ma. She says, the paperwork is clear. You're going to run. And I was like, oh boy, let's go. Like I was so Amazing. nervous up to this point. Um, and that that whole that whole period of uh, being in Greece, training at the at the Olympic Stadium every day with athletes that were going to be in Rio in the Olympics that summer, uh, you know, guys that I would watch on YouTube and emulate and, and you know really idolize growing up, were just on the same track as them, getting to know them and whatnot. It was really just a really really cool scene, and the track and field scene in Greece is just um, much different than the U.S. It's like 
people know track and respect track. It's one of the first sports Greece ever really took part in. So it's definitely embedded in the culture deeply. So being able to run um, in those, under those circumstances in an Olympic year in, the, in a nation that invented the Olympic Games uh, and as an outsider, people were really curious to see how the America knows coming back and who's this dude with the long Jesus hair, like, you know, doing his thing in the hurdles. And uh, just by sheer luck as an outsider, I ended up, you know, having a decent race and uh, stumbling into third place. So I, I podiumed and got bronze. Uh, oh, so, that's awesome. You know, it was a really, a really, really big honor. And uh, just from a primitive standpoint, being able to, you know, put your family on that, on that podium and your name and, and where you're from in Greece and, having my family watching it on Ed, which is like one of the national TV stations in Greece and just being able to do all that from just a primitive kind of like duty to like God and country inner person level. It was really, really cool. And being able to check that box off and uh, being able to rep for, you know, Greek Americans and, and my, my family when I was just, it was magical, man. I wouldn't trade it for anything. So that's, that's my awesome. long short story on that. So what year did, I'm um, sorry, did you say that you went to Greece? 2016. I was, I was okay. a doe-eyed 21 year old um, with still the whole world in front of him, but uh, you didn't know right. it at the time because you're just so focused on the craft. So. And how many, how long did you spend uh, in Greece running? Uh, it was just that month. It was that it month. It was just that one month. Like okay. A preliminary okay. race and then the finals. And um, okay. yeah, it was tough. Um, there's so much that goes into it, but uh, <clears throat> the atmosphere, the air, the the lack of good AC and Greek hotels definitely played a factor oh in the gosh. lack of yeah. sleep I got. Yeah. The three or four days leading up to the race, I like got horrendous sleep. I had like a stomach bug from some, some of the food I must have eaten just because yeah. you know how you go when, when Greece the first three days, like the water tastes different, the minerals mess up. Your, I get your sick whole... every every time I go to Greece, I'm sick every the first time. five days, so... every time. <laughs> So trying to just be a tourist is tough enough to imagine running in the biggest race of yeah. your life, trying to do all right. that. So um, the fact that I was able to pull it off with a lot of, you know, jet lag, everything was just really, really uh, something. So the blind squirrel well, oftentimes. I, I, I think you made the right decision and not risking blowing your knee out in Goya hoops. Let's yeah, put it that I, I hope so. I hope so. I, mean, <laughs> I think you made the right move. Unfortunately, my career did end a little bit prematurely. Um, with injuries and whatnot, uh, which is a discussion for definitely like I'd love to hop on at some point, uh, either in the clubhouse or another forum and talk about it, because there's a lot of sure. athletes out there that, you know, for other reasons out of their control that don't make it when they could have or they had the talent to. And it definitely is like a, a mi mind F word, not going to drop. Some, yeah, like, for sure. It, but no, it definitely messes with you. And it, it took me a while to dig myself out of that hole, but I'm in a much better spot now. And it's part of my journey now. And it's, it's made me the man who I am today. So, um, and when, when did you officially hang him up? Um, when I graduated, I should have quit a year early. I was battling okay. a lot of injuries. Um, her, I had double hernias on my left side. I, um, you know, had a, a shoulder injury. I had, you know, nagging knee, knee problems and whatnot. So, and it was just a matter of, uh, I should have left that the program. I was in a lot sooner, just gone on my own and called the shots. Cause it was the coach that I was working with in the private sector that actually helped me um do all that but i mean discussion for another day we're here to sure. talk about no no definitely yeah, yeah no definitely uh during your time there did you notice between the athletes there and the athletes here the differences in their style how they prepare the psychology how they approach the game totally. or the sport totally absolutely so i can speak for track for sure um there's I experienced Filotimo on a real level when I was uh, over there. Um, and what I mean by that is, you know, when you get ready for races in America, 
it's doggy dog. Like it's petty. There's a lot of cr trash talking, especially in the sprints. Um, a lot of trash talking, a lot of, you know, gamesmanship, head games. Uh, I remember being in a, in a race in Virginia at UVA and uh, this dude from Ohio State, as I'm just trying to get in my zone and get in the blocks. And this guy goes, hey, 2K and Sam, worst of luck. And I look back and this dude's just talking smack to me about my Greek nose. And he's like, yo, good luck. And my nose isn't even that bad. It's not, it's not small, but it's not like enormous. He's like, oh my God, look at that guy's nose. Yeah. But just anything to like, you know, talk smack to people. I remember another race in conference championships I was in uh, my sophomore year. Um, we're going up against our rival school and, um, I went, I was walking to get a pair of blocks to put on the track so I could get ready for my race. And this dude, uh, uh, from that was, that I was running against, he had one of his teammates who wasn't racing in the race run in front of me and pick up the last pair of blocks and give it in his lane. Kind of just like petty BS like that, where you're just like, yo, like it doesn't have to be that way. Like if you're good, you're good. You, you know, like let your feet do the talking. And um, so there was just a lot of just like, like not animosity, but I mean, there's good dudes too, but there was just a lot of just like that gamesmanship and that like, let me, how can I undercut this guy and whatnot? And then when I go over to Greece, there's, there was just so much welcoming. People were so honored and, and happy to see a Greek American coming back, you know, doing, trying to put on for, for Greece and for the culture and, um, you know, really contribute to the sport at large in Greece. And not just that, but people that I was going up against, the guys that I would be competing against. I knew I met a few of them a few days before the race because we there's not that many, you know, good quality tracks in, in, in Greece, especially once you leave Athens. The, the race was in Patras. So we were all there a few days early. And these are dudes that, you know, I'd be going, you know, fighting tooth and nail for once the gun goes off. Uh, but these are guys that were like, hey, like, do you feel welcome? We're going to a concert. Do you want to come? Uh, like they're just really going above and beyond. I remember this one kid who was on my team because you can run you, multiple people from the same team can run at the same event, but like against each other because it's an individual sport track. And I remember like this dude would give me rides home to back to my hotel in his car. And so I remember, I'll never forget this. We were, this was like a few days before the race and, you know, we left the training session. We both trained together at the same time. And uh, we go get to get like um, souvlakia and whatnot afterwards, uh, just a pickup, like takeout order, nothing like nothing, sit down and whatnot. And mind you, this is in 2016. This is the height of the crisis and the capital controls era when Tsipras and Mitsotaki, um, Varoufakis were, were instilling those capital controls, which really decimated a lot of the small businesses. So things were really desperate economically at that time period in Greece. And this, this is a college kid my age. He goes, Napiroso, Napiroso, like, I'll pay. Do you, I can pay for you. Do you need me to pay? And, and just that that filotimo that that just unwavering hospitality i'll never forget and i was like no 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 problem i, I ended up paying for his because he, he was just so so open and willing to help someone that was literally like gunning for his spot like i was a dude that came into his team like the people were wondering who i was when we were all like wearing the same jackets and whatnot because the american piece not because i was like you know hot stuff or anything i was an unknown outsider really for the most part but um it was just, you know, little little things like that that really just like make Greece as magical as it is from a people and cultural and everything else perspective. So do when you join um, the question I want to ask next is new guy comes in, whether he's from America, whether he's from another country, whether he's got Greek roots or not being the young guy coming in is there. I think I've seen this in some sports in Greece where the coaches do have different rules for the rookies. And the vets do vets control the coaches in Greece? 
Um, so in track, it's a little bit different because you have literally a numerical metric that does the talking for you. So okay. numbers never lie in, in track. Right. Um, if we once we once we dovetail into basketball and soccer, we can get then into all that the the, the culture and the subcultures under yeah. under the sports sporting world in, in Greece because it's definitely there in the team sports definitely. Yeah. Um, but you know, track your times with the talking. And um, what I will say is as an outsider, the, the hotel accommodations that I got with Filothe, the team, I mean, they, they paid for my hotel and everything, which was awesome. But nice. I definitely got the, uh, the short end of the stick in terms of the accommodations because <laughs> I was pinned with two kids that like barely qualified for like an event that like the like the steeplechase that like no one really does in Greece. Um, and uh, the kid, these kids were like booze in the night before they ran their prelims. They didn't qualify for the final. And I have to sleep in between two of them. So like my bed in the same hotel room with the same crappy AC that was like sputtering on and off all night. Uh, these kids were coming back late, like after boozing and like hanging out. So, Cause it's like a party for them. It's like all-star weekend in the NBA. Like it's good yeah. to greet the track world, like getting to getting back and, and meeting up with each other again. So it's like a big party for the ones that don't really like, aren't trying to get on the podium. So mm-hmm. trying to sleep under those conditions was not exactly ideal. So a couple right. of my teammates had their own rooms themselves. I did not. They're like, okay, I might not get in there with the, the booze boys. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, <laughs> there was a awesome. little bit of that, I guess. But um, from at the end of the day, like your, your time's in the talking, which yeah, is what I like sure. about track as well. You don't have to put up with as much of that that BS. Nice. All right. Then that's the perfect segue to the next topic. I want to talk about the dynamic of obviously soccer and basketball probably the two big sports in this country in in greece that team sports and i want to talk about a the fans because it's a completely different ball game yeah and just the dynamic of sports in greece how how much people how serious the fans take it how serious the players take it the dynamics the differences between the american team sport because it's there's there's differences there's obviously some similarities but it's I feel like when an athlete who might get washed up in the NBA says, oh, I'm going to go sit the bench on Olympiacos, maybe play six man. And then they get there and it's like a rude awakening if they've never been. Yeah. Uh, I just want to jump into this. So, yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, What I would say is one for the, for the most part there from a fan's perspective, we'll, we'll cover that first. The, for the fans, um, people in America already kind of understand, oh, like European soccer. We Sometimes I call it football on Twitter, uh, but European soccer, oh my God, like those fans are crazy compared to American sports fans. To put it in perspective, European sports fans look at Greece and they're like, oh my God, those guys are crazy. So we're like two yeah. degrees of crazy in terms of passion yeah. above the American sport we, but the, the ultra is over there, they call them that. Um, it, it is really, really something. Um, and it's it's... I love sports because I kind of liken it to this arena where you can healthily and properly exercise your like old world primitive um, attributes that humans carry, right? Well, like, for example, anxiety was a survival technique that our hominid ancestors developed to make sure they didn't get killed by a saber-toothed tiger, like always being on alert, like that sort of thing. Like that's a, that is a, a prehistoric trait that's trickled down into today's psyche. And it's not really necessary anymore. Much like um, uh, in that light, sports kind of check off a couple more of those primitive traits that don't really apply anymore in terms of tribalism, in terms of um, just this lust for war almost. Uh, Sports really occupy this space in our brains that really bring out passions and emotions. And and Greece 
exemplifies that to the extreme degree with, uh, I mean, because we're passionate people in terms of on the spectrum of people on the planet, we're definitely up there in terms of, you know, we love harder, we, we hate harder, we, we fall harder. It's just like our, our emotions are heightened and we see that in a really, really cool and artistic way in, um, in the sports world, especially with soccer and then even basketball too as well. They, they got flares indoors over there too. They, I mean, it, one rabbit hole that I recommend a lot of the followers to go down if they want to see what the basketball scene or the sports fan scene is like over there is looking at any article that Rick Pitino has mentioned in, in regards to his time at Panathinaikos, which is an Athenian club team for uh, most most historically successful in basketball, but a very big soccer team as well. And and just the, the petty rivalries and the banter and, you know, people would throw thongs at their bench. They would be smoking inside, like smoking, nipping cigarettes inside, like um, just that odyssey that Rick Pitino will talk about. He was like a changed man after he came back to Iona in the United States. So um, it was just, uh, I mean, he had a famous quote where he said, Greek basketball makes the final four look like church, talking about March Madness. Yeah. And I mean, it's it's just so, so true. And um, the players that go over to Greece that 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 have no idea what to expect, it is, like you said, it's a rude awakening. They they forever have their perspective of, of um, European and Greek sports changed. And uh, that's the other thing I do want to change, actually, is there is this stigma that, oh, in order for you to be a good player, um, you have to come to the NBA. Or if you're only going to Greece or uh, Spain, if you're if you're washed up. And I, I think that maybe was the case, maybe in the 80s and 70s. Mm-hmm. But to be honest, I mean, the, the game in the last 30, 40 years has really has really developed. And more often than not, a lot of American teams had struggled against, you know, um, the Argentinas of the world, the Greeces of the world, the Spains, the Serbias, the Slovenias. I mean, if you look at the NBA last year, uh, the defensive player of the year was Rudy Gobert. He's French. The MVP was Yannis, so he's Greek. Yeah. Um, Luka Doncic was rookie of the year. He's Slovenian. Like, the European game has caught up. Uh, has. The European game 100%. has developed the some of the NBA's top talent. So it's at a different spot now. And I think even back in the early 2000s and the 90s, a lot of those really good Greek players that, you know, won Eurobasket in 2005, made the World Cup final in 2006, a lot of them stayed in Greece. But people like being in Greece. There is a little bit of that big fish, small pond element that we can get into as well from a psychology standpoint, because that that definitely can be the case with some of those more arrogant Greek players that have world level talent, but are in a, a small market like Greece. But um, overall, it's just it is something that I would recommend everyone goes. If you're in Greece in late August, early September, if you're in Greece during the regular, you know, school year, let's say September through June, I would highly, highly, highly recommend going to a local game because there, yeah. those fans are just as passionate or a Panathinaikos, Olympiakos, Aik Athens, AEK. Um, they, it's just such a cultural immersive event and experience. It truly is an experience. So um, definitely check that out. I want, to, I want to backtrack to what you were saying, how the your, the, the world is caught up in basketball. I think what's telling is a guy like a Luka Doncic comes in, wins rookie of the year, becomes a top five MVP candidate in his yeah. second year. Yeah. And then you see a guy like Yanis who wins two MVPs in a row, wins a defensive player, goes to the FIBAs and can't find a basket. Yeah. So it, it's a whole different game where the NBA now has shifted to this small ball, four guys in the perimeter. There's no one in the paint where the European slash world game is still playing the tra- traditional game. You got your big guys where I think that's why there's so many guys that can excel in this game is because of like, if you watch the NBA, 28 of the 30 teams don't play a lick of defense. 
Yeah, yeah. It's uh so the NBA is a style that definitely suits, especially uh regular season NBA because the playoffs yeah. is a lot more of a yeah, slow different. Down strategic yeah. game. Yeah, the regular season but, NBA has is has yeah. gotten softer where if you take an, a team, you pick uh, the fifteenth best team and you put them in Europe, they're not gonna be able to it's not gonna be easy for them. No, definitely not, definitely not. And and there's definitely a lot of um nuance with the, that Greek uh FIBA championships back in 2019. Um it was just a different style, and and Giannis was young. He was 25 at the time, and he's still developing his scoring. The NBA game right. actually suits him really well because it's fast-paced, right. back and forth, and he can take advantage of those openings. Um, right. European teams are much more finesse and strategy-based, so they they found ways to you know slow him down, double-teaming him or pressing him. And, and, before and he that's get going. and that's why Giannis has struggled in the playoffs is because it slows yeah. down. And now yeah. I always like I'm not a, a Giannis hater, but I always say like okay, when I see an athlete play and they go to MVP level, like a, a Russell Westbrook, and they remind me each other uh, a, a lot because I always say when they when their legs slow down one gear, what what's their next move? Exactly, exactly. And I don't think Yannis has that yet. Russell Westbrook never developed that, and it's showing now. So yeah. I think he's the perfect example that Yannis used to look at and say, okay, I am seven feet tall, but if I can't go blow by my guy, I don't have a top-of-the-key shot yet. He's, he's developing it this year. Uh, I've been following him a little bit more closely this year. And um, I think he, he knows that as well. He amongst anyone knows that. And he's, he's, he's really married to the craft and he does want to get better. No, he is hundred percent. So, so, but what I would say is um, he, he knows that. And he's definitely been working on his. He has a really, really nice baseline turnaround jumper. Now that he's developing, he's, he's developing his shot. I think the the key with Giannis is because I know a lot of Greek fans, Greek American fans, are like, "Why isn't he being able to break through? Why can't he do this?" And it's a little bit nerve wracking. I wouldn't worry just yet for a couple of reasons. One, Jordan and LeBron didn't win their first titles until they were twenty and twenty nine, respectively. Uh, flip that around. Jordan was twenty nine. Uh, um, LeBron was twenty eight. So Yanni is twenty five. I think he just turned twenty six. So he has time in that department. Yeah, you know, also, I'm not saying he's behind schedule to win it, but yeah, but continue. Good. From a development standpoint, he also has what you can't teach. Uh, what I my my curiosity and my qualms with a guy like Luka Doncic is, I'd be afraid that he's already reached close to his ceiling. Because he's not a guy, he already has all the skills. He has that yeah. three-point shot, that step back, that spatial awareness. You can only improve your shot so much more when you're already one of the right. most efficient players in the league. Right. And that's also a team that and he's in his second, third year now as well. It's not like they're both, you know, kind of in a similar trajectory where he struggled to get out of the second round as well. And I think the trouble with with Doncic is what he's gonna run to. He's he's already maxed out almost. Yanni is a guy that has what Doncic can't have Giannis is a freak like the Greek freak yeah. is like the name for a reason he's seven foot can run and jump like a deer they didn't make guys like that 10 years ago this is the new yeah. NBA so he has what you can't teach it's just a matter of teaching him what he doesn't have right now right. and once he develops that he's going to do it as well I really do have faith he's going to do it he will be a, a phenom he was already reaching freakishly good numbers and you know already had last year the the most efficient season in NBA history in regards to scoring and overall play so he he has, and that's without a jumper. Like that, that's yeah. without an eighteen footer. You know, right. so he'll he'll be back in it. My he, my only concern is I hope he can develop it before the legs start slowing down. That's oh, he, I mean, he's that's he's, the issue. He's got he's got a good eight years, good seven years, especially with modern medicine and whatnot. I, right. I I mean, even as he regresses, we're seeing this in soccer too. Like a Cristiano Ronaldo, how's he still so amazing at the age of thirty five? 
And it's just like, even if they do regress, they're still so much more athletic than everyone else. As they yeah. get older, they can still ball. They can still play the play the games. So, sure. you know, they'll definitely sure. have to find other intuitive and intellectual ways to attack the game as that happens. But uh, he'll be able to be serviceable for sure. Perfect. Um, I will, we'll be rooting for him. So what I want to, I want to go back to the game, the, the arenas in Greece for a minute. Can you tell me some stories of things you've seen with fans, uh, whether in person or just seeing them through videos? I want to just touch on, because people are probably like, all right, how crazy can they be? What goes on in, oh, in the stands, in a soccer game or in a basketball game? So the, the best way to look at it is there's, there's a reason why most of those fan videos you see are from like afar, from far away or from bleachers or seats on the other side of the stadium. And it's because these guys, these are guys that they don't want to be up close because of facial recognition yeah. uh, because they, they're on the run basically from either authorities or petty crimes, not petty crimes, but like, like when they say like, you know, someone throws a flare that's technically illegal. Yeah. So, like, in order to not get in trouble, they oftentimes have ski masks or will cover their masked faces with, excuse me, with scarves and whatnot. And uh, so, they it is a, a rough and tumble group that you know had a really dark past. There was definitely like an illegal past, not really with with drugs and stuff like that, which is what a lot of people think happens. A little bit of that maybe, but there is there was definitely in the '80s and '90s a bad uh, run of violence amongst these firms. They will call them uh, basically the ultras that sit in certain sections of the stadium, uh, for example, Panathinaikos, it's gate 13. Gate 13 is their ultra section. Olympiakos, gate 7, Pauk, gate 4, Ayak, gate 21. Um, Aris, I think, is gate 3. They're the super 3. Uh, these are, They're all firms that act as like almost like pseudo-gangs where it's all about, you know, um, being the toughest team in the city, the toughest fans, and, and flaunting that toughness, which is something that's definitely faded with time because, it, you know, only so many people can get hurt or injured or unfortunately there's been a few deaths as well where it's just like, this isn't worth it, guys. Like, it's, it's, it's a sport at the end of the day. Um, but it's definitely reached this nice level now where you do have that tribalistic tendency without the violence, which is the, the place that I think Greek football wants it to be and what makes it beautiful. Um, they have, you know, lots of banter that a lot of times they'll have what they call choreos, which is like um, a performance or like a chorus and songs of sorts that they chant. They'll have tifos, which are like basically big banners that they draw out that are like usually having a go at the ownership of the other team. Like Pauk had a really nice, a funny tifo last year where it pictured um, the Olympiakos owner, Marinaki, says Jabba the Hut, And like his players around him were like his like meager servants. And it was this big like... 500 foot by like 100 foot long like banner that they like raised as the like they were playing the you know the the songs in the beginning as the both teams were coming out so it, it really is about intimidation it's about banter it's about you know uh, regional pride um and it's done in a funny and, and you know tribalistic way where no one's getting hurt nowadays which is what i like to see so um i mean we could go on and on there's i mean molotov cocktails have been thrown at times and it's funny because in Greek, it's such a Greek way. It's like nothing works. It's so chaotic, but everything works out for the most part yeah. in terms of like no one gets hurt somehow when like a bunch of Molotov cocktails right. get thrown. So, you right, know, it gets, right. gets swept under the rug. Um, <laughs> but it's a mo it's really a relationship that these guys have with their club, and uh, it, it is the wind beneath their wings. And seeing it on that level, it's like obviously like in another life, if I was born in Greece, I might have you know fallen into that. And I have it's like I can speak parcel tongue, but I'm not Slytherin. Uh, like a Harry, in Harry Potter, like I, I, I know their language. I know how their brain works, but like to go all the way there is like a definitely like you are marrying your life to this team. 
Um, so hopefully that answers that that question. If you want to elaborate, it does. On, it does. On the one the one thing I do want to throw in there is I've seen player fans throw coins. Oh, coins, um, oranges. And they've landed home. on the courts, the fields, and on players' heads. Yeah, yeah. There are times when um, earlier in the 2000s, there were a lot of times when coaches would goat the fans, knowing that the fans would overreact because they wouldn't control themselves and they would get a three-match right. ban or they'd have to play a game behind closed doors with no fans, fines. So a lot. there was a time in 2012, I want to say, where the Olympiacos coach kind of gave the come at me, like double fingers come at me to the, yeah. the gate 13 section in Panathinaiko, and they like raided the field. The, the, the Olympiacos team had to like go quickly into the tunnel and they like blockaded it off, and then the Panath had to play like three or four games behind closed doors and they actually got a um after so many of those instances like that Panathinaikos had a three-year European ban where they weren't allowed to play in the Champions League or Europa League and they're actually just finishing up that that three-year ban now um so they'll be hopefully back in Europe this year and I'm technically a Panathinaikos fan but that's just because my cousins from from Greece are I mean I'm from Spati originally so um not really many good teams in Peloponis other than like Asteras Tripoli or, um, you know, actually my hometown team was in the second division last year and then got relegated. Uh, so that was uh, fun while it lasted, but uh, yeah. yeah. Awesome. So I went to a game when I was 10. It was the last day of a trip to Greece and someone, my father and I were visiting some friends or family and they were like, we have tickets to the game tomorrow, but nothing goes, it'll be a close. So I go to this game. Soccer? Soccer. And okay. I don't know what I'm getting myself into. I'm like 10 years old. I'm like three feet tall. And uh, I go in, we go in there. We, we have this view of the entire arena. Like, so it's up high. So you can see everything. And the entire left side is flag burning and flames. Yeah. And I was just like, I didn't know what to expect. I'm 10 years old. And yeah. it was an unreal experience because you just have both sides yelling at each other. You yeah. have chance. Uh, and we can't really say what they're chanting because it's uh, too inappropriate. A lot of yeah, too know, inappropriate. Even for podcasts, even for yeah. podcasts, are too inappropriate. <laughs> but these chants are so clever; uh, they sound amazing. Yeah, uh, but we can't repeat them. But yeah, flags burning, one side going after the other, after the other, after the other. It was an unreal experience. I also went to one more game. I want to say around. I think around like 2007, I went to a basketball finals, D1 oh, final. Golden age, the golden age yeah. of sports, honestly. But go on. Uh, I think it was those. I think it was the summer of 07. If I, yeah, and we sat there. I can't remember who the game was. I'm sure we could find well, it online. Club or country? Huh? Was it club or country? Oh, this was club. It was the it was the finals for the season. It was game one. What do they do? Best of three. Um, was it Euroleague? So was it against a non-Greek team or was it against the Greek team? No, Greek on Greek, Division One. Uh, probably the Greek Cup final or the Greek yeah. Cup final, basically. Yeah, so. it was game one of the three-game series. Yeah. And, I mean, it wasn't as dramatic as that soccer game, but it was cool. The only, it was cool to see it, but if, if people are wondering what the place felt like, picture a really big high school game. That's how I saw it that year. Yeah, yeah. Like it arena was, size... Back in the day, used to get big as well and get yeah, yeah that's what well. I mean. So like high school games are big now. High school games are big. Picture yeah. a, a big, popular, like elite high school game size uh, gym, full, and I think the game wasn't very entertaining, but um, nothing was like that. Panathinaikos Olympiakos game in back in '93, I think it was. That was unreal. 
Yeah, that, I mean, that is truly, a, a, for especially Olympiacos, a, a golden generation of players there that really did well in Europe. Um, but the, the burning of the flags, I should have mentioned, actually, a lot of times these fan groups, these ultras, will you know, go to the other team's side of town and would steal flags from the fan house because they all have like kind of like a headquarters of fan groups. Yeah. Uh, like a fan house where you know a lot of like smoke goes down it's like a, basically a, a, a glorified cafeneo yeah. and uh they'll go to these places they'll steal the other team's flags and then as like a a mockery or like a look what we did to you they'll burn those flags so that's what the burning of those flags was it's kind of like um uh again again petty warfare almost and uh it's dope that you got to see both fan groups in yeah. uh the arena because that's since been uh, outlawed that you don't you know for the bigger games for the big six for the big five excuse me so Ari Spauk and Thessaloniki then in Athens it's uh Olympiakos with Tekli Pirea um Ike and Panathinaiko those fan groups those fans are not allowed to have not allowed to travel away to the other team's stadium really team so yeah. I, I do remember correctly at that time you could right because yes, I yeah, do yeah. remember it, like it. the last okay. five years five six okay. years because so. uh, I remember it was like not one side. I'm a fan of this side now. I'm a fan of this side. I love their channel. I love their channel. Yeah. And yeah, I'm just no, sitting in the middle enjoying it. And to be honest, it doesn't just stay with within Greece. Um, I was talking with some of my Arsenal fans that traveled last year to a game when they played Olympiacos in the Europa League. Um, and they were saying, like, uh, when they when they got off the, uh, the the plane and got in the taxi, the taxi driver was like, oh, you said I like you Arsenal fans. And they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like. And they're like, oh, okay, like you can't go to this side of town. Don't go here. Don't go there. Like they're just like making sure that like they stay yeah. stay safe because like you know once you get a couple of pints and you're talking smack to, yeah. to all yeah, your fans, no, you sure. get, it can get sticky real quick. But uh, the, the the fans even in England where you know it's all posh, prim and proper over there, uh, they they have really good fan singing. But the 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 violence or the 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 beauty of ultra warfare is not what it used to be because the police more or less stifled it out because a lot of people were dying over there in England, not as much as in Greece. So they, it was stifled out. And, and these English fans that I was talking to were saying, like, they, they missed that. They're, going to Greece reminds me of, like, the old hard man era of soccer back in the 80s and 90s um, with just the, the amount of just chaos that ensues. So they, they really appreciate it even abroad. So right. very intimidating atmospheres that, that these Greek teams can uh, create. One other question I have is on the structure of the sports in Greece, how does the moving up and down between divisions work? Just like in England, um, you know, uh, for basketball, it's a little bit trickier uh, because there's not as many like the, the, the size, the difference in size between the first league and the second league is enormous. Um, even in the first league, their range of teams in terms of size is enormous. So basketball is a little bit more complicated. But for soccer, it's just same as in England. Um, Greece has 14. Um, they used to have 18. They moved it down to 14 professional first league teams. Uh, the first one is a champion, the, the bottom uh, three get relegated. Uh, sometimes, some years, depending on the year, they do a playoff system as well at the bottom five or six. And then, uh, you know, the second division, third division, all the way down, they, they have the same kind of system where the top three and second division move up. And, um, and it's, it's a really cool system because you see teams in every rung of the ladder fighting tooth and nail to stay afloat, to try and get into European play if you're on the top level of the table. Right. And um, there's just pressure on all, on all realms. Which I think American sports is really missing. Uh, you have it's just a shame that it's almost like it's weird because in America we're like we like don't celebrate mediocrity we're America we're the best and then you have teams actively tanking to get the number yeah. one draft picked yeah, you know yeah. like re like re 
reimburse, not reimburse, but remake their, their new team with a franchise player. It's like what other industry in America or what other sport league in the world does that where the best people go to the worst companies right. or worst teams? Or there, if you finish last, you're, you're out of the league. You're going down to another division. Yeah, exactly. And that, there's huge business implications that get hurt because of that. Say yeah. if you invested in a team and you want them to do well. Um, and they don't. And so yeah. your investment basically goes down the toilet because of like substitutions. And, and this gives that. hope to a, t- a D3 team that we could have a dream, a 10 year plan to get to D1. Oh, five year plan. Absolutely. There's definitely a bunch of that. And I think the coolest part is what Greece does and what European soccer does is they have not just the league. So the, the, the league, the way it works the, to win the league, you play each team home and away twice. And then you have points. You, you get three points for a win, one point for a draw or a tie and then zero for a loss. And at the end of that, of, of playing every team in the league home and away, whoever has the most points wins. But in order to have a more intense sort of uh, atmosphere to the, the competition to play throughout the year, um, there is a co- what's called the Greek Cup. So it's that's every team in Greece that is semi-pro or pro. We'll start at the beginning of August, and it goes all the way through June. And it's the coolest thing ever because you can have teams that, you know, have – that are all part-time. Like Wait, August to June, you said? August. So August so August 2019 to June 2020, let's say. That's okay. the, the Greek Cup goes simultaneously. Yeah, it's like it. sprinkled throughout the football year as well. Got it. Okay. Uh, the, the, the football season as well. And you have basically painters and plumbers that, you know, play kickabout on Sunday uh, have a chance if they keep progressing this tournament to go up against uh, like Olympiacos, like a Titan. So right. that, that dichotomy is amazing because it actually happened um, – three years ago where my Jorge's team, I uh, Sparti, drew Olympiacos in like one of the early rounds of the, the qualifiers for the, the Greek Cup. And the Olympiacos team drove all the way down to Sparti to play like a the, the hometown stadium. It's not even a stadium. It's like a, a bunch of like rusted bleachers. And um, there was a mountain on one side. And it was really cool because it had this like Latin American feel where like the entire town just stopped. And the stands were full, the the goat paths and the mountainous hills behind it that were like kind of right up against the field, like people were packing those. It was just like an amazing, amazing thing for like you're a small Jorio to see. Not that Spartans are Jorio, but it's 15,000 people. Right. It's not a big town by any means. So seeing that was like dope. So you have like really, really cool moments like that. I mean, if you if you're like a a hometown boy that scores in front of the home fans uh, against Olympiago. That's like a moment for life. You don't pay for like a, a fix or an alpha in the local like Taverna for the rest of your life. You're good. Yeah, so, for sure. For sure. You know. So for those that listen that don't know, so like the season champion is based off just the season in points or right. It's yes, not a playoff. Just the league. And then you get a separate cup, a separate tournament that's sprinkled throughout the year. Yeah. Because like, the way it works is like in a, in a single week, say in like February, in a single week, uh, you'll have a Greek league game, then you'll have a Greek cup game. And then if you're okay. good enough to play in Europe, you'll have like a European game. So you'll be playing like three games a year to, co- so, to satisfy all these cups. All right. So the annual playoff just p- goes along the season, you're saying? Uh, yes, for relegation playoffs. So if a team yeah. is trying to fight for it to stay in the league, they'll sometimes make it interesting where they'll have the teams just do a play out or a playoff at the very end. But it's usually depending on no, the No, no, no. I didn't mean that. Sorry. The, the cup. The cup is all three divisions together. It's it's all like seven the entire pyramid. Okay. So you'll everyone have, gets bra- and it gets bracketed in. 
Yeah, you get bracketed in. There's a little bit of like the smaller teams kind of play each other to see who gets a chance okay. against the professional teams because it's only the four top four leagues are the only. So they don't use season results to place that. They just do both at the same time. No, it refreshes every year. It refreshes okay. every year. And every team in Greece technically having one or two degrees of separation for playing all, each other, basically. Got it. It's dope. It's chaotic. It's dope. In England, it's called the FA Cup. It's well, awesome. What's been the biggest upset in the cup? Like has Ooh, a that's a good question. Like um, as a small village knocked off an empire? Uh off the top of my head, um in the nineties, there was a team from my actually my mom's hometown. I, I don't know the answer to the top of my head. I no. haven't looked that deeply into it. Um but there was I can say from my mom's hometown in Croques, there, which is a, like a small for you outside of Sparti, they played um Iraklis back in the day. So Irakli back in, which is a Thessaloniki-based club, one of the oldest in Greece, who actually have had the best player to ever grace the Greek game in uh, Vasily Khatsipanagis, who actually never got to play uh, because he was a, his parents were communist refugees from the Civil War era, and he was actually born in the USSR, uh, Russia at that time. So he had one cap or one start with the USSR team, then he wanted to change affiliations to play for the national team. So he played a friendly for Greece, and then FIFA was like, no, 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 you can't play. You already played for Russia. So he was our Maradona. He was literally known, tutored as the Greek Maradona, and he never got to play for Greece, which is like so Greek, where it's like we don't even get the best player that's ever graced the Greek game. So this wasn't in the era when Khatsipana, he was playing, but Krokeatikos, uh, which was my mom's like podunk village team, which is like all athletes, big strapping, like farm strong guys. They call it shithousery. They it basically, they like blindingly found their way into just like a one nil like own goal victory and it was like the it was bedlam in croquets for like that next week this is back in the 90s though yeah. uh just a hilarious like story that like croqueaticos has like in all like the little tavernas or little um pubs and bars that are down there they, it's like pictures of that are all over the place it's like really funny because yeah at least it's not really a big team now but it was back then because of that lore from the 80s with Katsipanagi. Mm-hmm. awesome wow that was uh fun I always love, I mean, I'm sports have been a staple of my life. I just never, ever dove into the dynamics of sports in Greece. I just started from afar. Um, yeah. But thank no, you for amazing. It's amazing. diving into this with me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I is, guess to is, close off. Oh, is there anything else I'm missing? No, you're going to say something about closing up, but is there anything, yeah, 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 any yeah. other topics you want to share? I guess for me, the reason why I kind of fell in love with Greek sports or just European sports at large for a few reasons, and and, and these are maybe if you're kind of like a, a hot and cold sports fan and you want to view sports from a different perspective, um, sports, Greek sports have really been the one medium in my lifetime that have been able to tell Greece's story to non-Greeks. Greece doing well at the World Cup, Greece doing well at the Euros in basketball. Um, that is the, probably like one of the few times where non-Greeks or particularly Americans see what like real Greek people look like and act like and strategize and, and you know, use teamwork to try and reach a common goal. And being able to tell Greece's story through that light and through, you know, winning the Euros in 2004 and, and seeing the, the, the not painfully Greek, but so the, in such the Greek way they did it, where it was like, being so pragmatic and practical and, and playing to your strengths, using head games and the, the mental toughness that, you know, our ancestors used to even, you know, get rid of from the, you know, get freedom from the Ottoman empire. Like you see all that coming up in spades and, and it's so expressive and it's a way where, you know, for example, I had long hair in college, right. 
and no one was calling me when my friends are uh, mates from uh, from uni uh, England and Scotland or America whenever they'd call my name, it wouldn't be, you know, uh, hey, Alexander the Great. It wouldn't be, you know, hey, Yanni from the Acropolis. It would be, hey, Samaras, who's a Greek soccer player. Like, that's their their key into our world. Before Twitter was a thing, before, you know, social media really allowed us to express and tell our story, soccer was, and, and basketball and sport was the way to do that. And it was the one realm where, you know, once they saw, oh, wow, like Greece can ball, look at what they're doing, look at what they're accomplishing under these circumstances, whether it's during the crisis area and whatnot. It really brought legitimacy and pride to a lot of Greeks. And I'll even go one step further where uh, they call it Greek Twitter, where it's like Greeks from around the world and in the diaspora. And then even in Greece, we all met each other on this platform. But the number one way we did that was actually when Greece went on that 2014 World Cup run where Samaras buried that penalty against the Ivory Coast. And that was really the first time where Greeks from Australia were meeting Greeks from America, were meeting Greeks from England. So this this mechanism of sports has, has brought a lot of people together and it's also just told you know kids that are born in the 80s and 90s and 2000s it's really told our generation of greek diaspora's story in a way so if you're curious look up on youtube the euro 2004 triumph it's amazing look up Eurobasket um 2005 or more specifically the amantidis shooting that shot against france to against over tony parker to put greece in the yeah. final of Eurobasket in 2005 there's just so many magical stories of of Greek athletes and and doing playing and and expressing the Greek game in, in a, such a Greek way where it, it almost was like the number one serendipitous way where Greek people could kind of get another view of what being Greek was like, other than the headlines of oh the crisis oh Zeus like from mythology. Yeah. Um, I can't believe I almost left out the most important topic, uh, the Euro <laughs> four. How did we almost blow that one right? Um, how were you, how old were you at that time? So here's my, here's my, Tell me uh, your, like your experience with the Euro four. So uh, for me, it's lack thereof. Unfortunately, okay. this is a, I passionate sports fan. And the most painful part is uh, we're from Boston. So uh, back in that same year, 2004, the Patriots beat the Carolina Panthers in the Super Bowl. And yeah. I remember being like that, that was when I first realized, even in my eight year old brain, like I sports are going to be like a part of my life for a long time in a very yeah. deep way. I was like, I remember to this day yelling at the screen when Tyrone Poole, uh, who was a, the, the Patriots cornerback, let Mushin Muhammad and Jake DeLome connect on an 80-yard bomb to go up yeah. 29-26 with like three minutes left in the Super Bowl. I remember yeah. crapping myself as an eight-year-old screaming at my TV. Um, so I was old enough at the time to understand sports and understand the magnitude of sports. But for this is a time in 2004 where like TV was so limited. You had to almost pay for a package to get European channels and stuff like yeah. that. And, you know, so my mom is from Greece. My dad is from the U.S. I'm third generation on my dad's side. So he was an American football guy, uh, you know, come from more blue collar background. Soccer was kind of like the girl, like the, he would call like the imports would play that. Like it's like, yeah, dude, yeah. Your, your parents were an import. What are you talking about? Like that, that's just like the, the weird, um, you know, psychology of immigration, actually, which is another a cool conversation for another day as well. Um but for me, because of that, it's like obviously like when you're younger, your your sports fandom is kind of run through your pops, for your dad. Like I never got to experience it live. I remember hearing right. about it. I remember people celebrating, but I never watched any of the games. I, I didn't even think about it because it, it just wasn't in my forefront. It was just a different time period where there's no internet as it sure. is today. And, you know, I just missed it. But I definitely have taken it upon myself to tell that story tenfold on Super Greek on Twitter because the world needs to know it. It's, it's one of the biggest upsets sure. in sports history that, and it, of course, in a very Greek way, um, it wasn't really 
for me, the most important piece of, of, of that Euro 2004 run, and if I ever went back to college or write my dissertation on this, is just the psychology and the, the socioeconomic implications of how other major, quote unquote, major nations addressed that victory from Greece. I remember watching, uh, as a side note, this is more of like an example, an analogy to help you understand it better. I remember in 2012, uh, when Lynn Sanity happened uh, with Jeremy Lin in New York, yeah. Um, this documentary was kind of talking about how the world wasn't ready for an Asian American player to hop on the NBA scene like that. I mean, ESPN, New York Times, New York Post, there were all these articles titled like, I can't even say the C word, but C-H-I-N-K in the armor. Right. And it was like a picture of Jeremy Lin, like, yeah. like, you know, putting a layup past Kobe Bryant or like Jeremy Lin coming out of like a fortune cookie. And it's like, just really like, not even microaggressive, just like blatantly racist stuff. And, right. and the, the document, this is back in 2012, 2013, when like Facebook was still thing, social media was still thing. It was just a different and, and ESPN headline writer got fired for that. I remember yeah, that. And, and yeah. it was just like the, the main point of that documentary was trying to say was the, the world wasn't ready for someone of a different culture that didn't identify with either the main, main cultural players in the NBA and the world wasn't ready for it. And much like Greece in 2004, the Englands, the Frances, the Germanys of the world weren't ready for a, a, a country that looked like us, that acted like us, that didn't have the prestige of these major nations to win that tournament. So it's it's unfortunate because there was this camp, almost like this agenda and campaign of passive aggressiveness from the English media, from the German media. It's almost minimized the 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 amazing and and fortuitous run that Greece had they 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 beat the hosts twice in the beginning of the game the, the beginning opening match and in the final they beat the tournament favorites in Czech Republic in an amazing amazing semifinal game they beat France who were the defending world champions in 1998 um excuse me they uh, the recent world cup winners in 1998 defending European champions in 2000 if you remember that one where David Trezeguet scored in um in extra time to in a golden goal to beat the Italians um, which is a really, really fun uh, European Cup as well, 2000. But so they beat the French, who were the defending European champions. They beat the tournament hosts um, and twice, basically. And on this magical run where they were just, they played a type of style that worked for them. And it wasn't cheap. It was just very much dogged defensive work ethic, uh, team unity, and they're the sum of their parts. And it was, uh, it makes for a great case study for anyone that wants to get into coaching or just anyone that wants to overcome odds. They, they really did it in a way that was magical and in a very Greek way, where it was the first time really where Greek people could look at themselves and be like, wow, like we can do stuff. We're, we're capable of this. And it was a time where Greece culturally kind of like hit their stride. If you remember the Olympics for that summer, then Eurobasket happened in 2005. Um, Elena Paparizou went on to win uh, Eurovision in 2005 as well. And it really kind of kicked off what would have been this, this renaissance, this cultural renaissance period for Greece uh, to really kind of get in their stride. And then, of course, the crisis in 08 happens. But uh, the reason why I say it in these terms is Greece in the last 600 years hasn't really had a lot of time to be able to dictate and govern itself. Uh, I mean, 450 years under the Ottoman Empire, then you have two world wars, uh, then the civil war that came right after the world war II. Then you have um, a little bit of this, this renaissance period in the eighties and nineties, where there's a lot of growth coming in from investments from other major players in Europe. But even in Greece in the eighties and nineties was, you remember it back in the day, it was just uh, a shell of what it is now. Uh, it, I mean, Greece yeah. is definitely much more vibrant now. It still has ways to go. So there is, um, there's just so much implications of like, this is the, if you look at it, the 80s and 90s are the first like 10 years, 
straight of be, Greece being able to govern themselves and be able to think and, and feel for themselves as a culture. So Euro 2004 was just this kind of like coming of age for Greece that allowed people to really think we can do this. We're not, we're not subject to just the whim of the major powers. And that, that startled people, that startled the major players. So there's a legacy that, that underlies just the soccer and sports aspect of it that I think is super important that people should look into when they talk about Euro 2004. I just went on a massive rant there so feel free to do oh, with you what you want but uh what uh, i'm going to do next no what i was going to share with you is a story with me in the euro for uh watching it was obviously oh, fascinating sure. uh but what had happened after we won in boston um me along with i mean it was this was spearheaded by a bunch of like older friends where basically it was like five cars full of Greeks. We're like, we're going to drive into the city and we're, we're driving down Newbury street and everyone's just honking their horn, Greek flags, this, this and that. And then at one point we come to a stop sign and the car in front, all my friends out of the car in the front, get out. And one pulls <laughs> a soccer ball out and everyone's just kicking the ball around. Yeah. We pulled traffic down for like 20 minutes because <laughs> half the people probably who are not aware of international sports are like, what the hell's going on? Yeah, they'd say, who are these like, yeah, like yeah. <laughs> pizza makers? What are they doing this street? <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, yeah. So we just shut down New Street for good. It felt like 20 minutes. It was probably like five minutes. But uh, it was hilarious to see they all got out and everyone's just kicking a soccer ball around holding traffic it was it's insane. my biggest regret as a sports fan i feel like a lot of sports fans kind of do this hypothetical where it's like would you rather your team win and you not know about it or would you rather them never win, like have a chance of winning but you get to yeah. experience it i wouldn't have it any other way though the timeline of that was perfect for what greece needed uh, it and it carried them through the crisis um and but honestly like it, it was just such an awesome event. And then I had my fun in the sun with Euro 2012 and World Cup 2014. Yeah. That Those were some amazing runs and, as well. And then another couple upsets were, that were really cool was beating Team USA. What was it, 06 when they oh, beat them? of course. Them? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, that was an awesome one. That was – so under Coach K, so Coach Krasinski, yeah. who's coach, he had a nice 16-year tenure with that with the U.S. national team or Team USA for basketball. I mean, they did have a young group, but still, he like – so his record for Coach K, for the kids at home here, you can put this in your pipe and smoke it. Uh, he was 75-1 and one as yes. head coach of Team USA. That one loss was with Greece, Greece in 2006. Um, I mean, to this day, yes, they were a younger team, but to be honest, if you're a team of LeBron James, Dwight Howard, Chris Paul, um, Chris Bosh, who else is on that team? Um, Carmelo Anthony. Yeah, Dwight it was that entire 03 draft plus a couple yeah. sprinkled from around the other ones. So it's the 03 draft with four years of, of experience um, in the NBA. Right. It, yeah. it should be happening. But we had some killers on that team. Diamantidis, Pavalukas, Spanuli. I mean, the Hatsivretas, it goes down the line. Zisis. I mean, you could just – that team – could all they were fun to watch. They were fun yeah, to that watch. That team man. could all walk into NBA teams in that era, uh, in the, that time period, and they did it. They wanted to stay in Greece. Mm -hmm. they, they really elevated the Greek game. So um, I'm gonna. I want to ask you one other question on the basketball yeah, yeah. realms. Um, probably the most influential athlete of my time uh, is definitely Kobe Bryant. Uh, worldwide, worldwide influential yeah, yeah, yeah. athlete. Yeah. Um, they asked him a question. I mean, late Kobe Bryant. They asked him a question. I'm not sure what year. They asked him, who is the best basketball player that you know that never came to the NBA? You want to answer yeah. it? Yeah, yeah. It was one of the most popular tweets I ever had on the Super Greek platform. I think the day after Kobe died, I tweeted out and had almost 500 retweets. 
it was uh, the Amantides. He said, this was before the FIBA World Championships in 2019. Um, it was one of his final interviews that actually Kobe did. And uh, he was asked if there was one player he wished he could have played with, who would it would be? And he goes, you know, this Diamantidis guy from Greece, he, he, I loved his length, his size, the way he could harass little point guards. I would have loved to have him on my team. And um, I think so many American sports fans were kind of shocked by that. I showed it to my friends and they were almost like, they didn't believe it. They were like, no, no, that's probably him just, you know, throwing a layup or whatever. But Diamantidis was one of the best three and D guys in basketball that I've ever seen. And um, I, I think you said it best. Uh, that just also spoke to Kobe's brilliance, Kobe's ability to recognize talent and value when he saw it. Uh, and it was a nice hat tip to, for the Greek fans that, you know, really went as they had their, their heroes go as unsung in the global space for a long time. Um, for, for Kobe to do that was awesome. And to be honest, I'm not a big crier. I, I, um, I usually like never cry. The only times I cry are like weird things like, uh, not even like funerals, but like my parents' wedding video when I see like my Yaya and, and Mega Yaya singing like my mom's like villain Shkodiatiko song as she's like getting, right. putting her like um, her, her wedding dress on. I, I'm a, such a cultural like nerd like that, that I'll cry at weird stuff like that. But the only other time I've cried in, in that sense, and I'm trying to be a tough guy. I definitely am passionate. I, I definitely am emotive. But literal tears coming out of my eyes was when Kobe died. That was such a, he loved Greece. He had so much respect for Greece and Greece loved him as well because there was this kind of kindred spirit where he grew up in Italy. He, he kind of brought um, a spotlight to the European and Mediterranean game uh, mm -hmm. with basketball and whatnot. So there was a soft spot that Greeks had for him. And, and to be honest, he was also a huge mentor for Yanis. Yanis mm -hmm. was, he had taken Yanis under his wing. And I, to this day, I really think Yanis would, he's is one of the best players ever, but he would have been on that Mount Rushmore enshrined in history uh, for certain in terms of like a hundred percent if Kobe was alive because that Mamba mentality would have trickled into him and, and Giannis is still going to get there he'll definitely win some championships but the, the the path will be a little bit more tricky for him without that mentorship because Kobe was really he saw a lot of value in Giannis just like he did with the Amantidis so that it was it was a really t the world lost a really special person when, when Kobe passed that day yeah uh, it was beyond basketball man the, the, just the, his brain that mind that Kobe Bryant had just not only for basketball just for life in general how to handle things how to handle adversity how to handle critics how to handle downs how to handle ups and just the, the listening mama, to his interviews yeah the mama just, mentality was what got me through a lot of my injuries as well and just put helped me push through a lot of different stuff and not just like oh be tough like like not that high school football coach like rah 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 no, you got no, 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 it. it's no. truly like every he he would say it best because I, I used to listen to his interviews all the time and podcasts all the time because I thought he was so valuable with the things that he was saying and he would say most things when people can't it sounds like a lot of excuses everything has a puzzle everything is a puzzle it's just about every puzzle is different and it's about figuring right. out your puzzle and you'll be able to if you want it bad enough you're obsessed with the process to be able to figure it out and get it done you will figure it out the survival right. tech the survival tendencies and your human instincts will get triggered and you will figure it out when you're faced with a there's no other option you will figure it out so that hopefully that's a little bit nuggets for people that should, that are that are struggling right now with anything that mob mentality is real stuff it got me through a lot of stuff as well yeah so. now that was a definitely a tough one when that happened yeah Awesome, man. This was fun. This was a I lot can't of wait fun. For the world to open back up and do some more video content on, uh, in Greece and be able to, you know, pump some stuff out. And yeah. It'll be a lot of fun. So lots, lots going to happen in the Greece this summer, my man. Lots going to happen in Greece in once Greece. we get, we got to just get through this pandemic. Man, I, I, I always enjoy talking sports. Unfortunately, on this platform, on this podcast, it's not really targeted to sports. It's just targeted to Greece and Greek. But I, I'm happy that I got to do this with you. 
And, Absolutely. Uh, and hopefully I'm we got sure some we'll, new fans, hopefully, out of it as yeah, well. Yeah, for sure. New sports fans that are at least curious about the, the odyssey that is Greek sports. Yeah, for so, sure. Um, if you want so more of that stuff. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, I was going to say, tell everyone how they can find you, how they can find the Super Greek. Plug, plug all your, your stuff. Absolutely. So if you want more of, uh, you know, banter and, and to kind of get in this inside scoop of the Greek sports world, and, and I, I cover Greek politics and current events and pop culture on, on my platform as well, just to diversify it a little bit. Um, uh, I'm at, at the super Greek with an underscore at the end on Twitter. We're figuring that piece out right now. We're going to get a little more professional, but uh, and then at the, the super Greek on Instagram and then super Greek on YouTube as well. We have a new YouTube channel. Uh, we already have like 80 subscribers want to get up to, you know, 500,000 and then from there to infinity and beyond. So um, if you're really curious to see the 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 odyssey and and the the, the journey untraveled that is Greek sports and get an inside scoop from of, of Greek culture from that perspective, I'm definitely your guy. And I, I really appreciate the shout and uh, for you, Tony, to have me on here as well. It's a lot of fun. I'm always happy to come on and talk more. For sure, we'll definitely do this again. Thank you, everyone, for listening to Greece Chats. This was Panayoti from the Super Greek. Like he said, follow him on Twitter, the Super Greek underscore. He's on Instagram and YouTube as the Super Greek. I know this was a lot of fun. Uh, I'm sure I'll hear a lot from you soon, and uh, we'll do this again. Absolutely. All right, I can't my man. Wait to do one of these in person once the world opens back up. We too, will. Man. We we'll will. We will. We'll get there. We'll get there. All right, my man. Right, we'll talk soon. Everybody. Thank you. Thank you, everybody, for listening to this episode of the podcast. If you enjoyed it, learned something new, or were inspired, please share it with a friend. And don't forget to subscribe for future episodes of the podcast.